Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our hearts, our eyes, our minds, Father, that we might learn and understand the things that you want to teach us, because your word is true, and we want truth in our beings. We want to walk in that truth and embrace it. We want that truth to be manifested in our daily lives and the way we conduct ourselves. So, Father, teach us the things of your kingdom. We give you praise and glory in your Son, Yahushua's name. Amen. So, thank you, Lisa. Very nice. Uh, again, we're in numbers and an anointing still going on here. The, uh, either remembering the children uh, firstborn being drawn and coming forth to serve. I want to welcome everybody online and welcome everybody here. Thank you for being a part of our service and a part of our congregation. So today we're going to talk about... Um, I'm hoping that what I share today is going to encourage all of you through trials and challenges that you face each day and each week, because your Most High shows us what we are to do each day and the goal and the reward that's at the end. That's what we're aiming for. That's what Torah means. It's aiming to the goal, the goal that's at the end, what, we're, what reward is awaiting for us those of us that are walking in the way that he's asked us to walk. Before we begin, uh, some of you may know, you may not know, that uh, we have a, com a uh, comet that's coming in this month. It's already visible now, and it was just discovered a couple months ago. And I'm going to show you where it's going to be on the new moon coming up here on Friday. And this is where it's at. So you can see that the moon is in close to the head of the Virgin. Mars is, is in the womb area. This is all September the 15th. Mercury is up in Leo the Lion. And you can see that the comet that has the white line on it that's coming from the sun going to the left into what looks like hair, that's the comet Nishimaru. And this is the one that was just discovered. What I put in here with it are, you might see some things on YouTube, there's a lot of claim of a lot of interesting names of, of asteroids that are going to be in this constellation of Virgo during this comet's appearance. Uh, I can't verify all of the things that they have, people have put. These are the asteroids that I can confirm that are going to be present. I will say, because I've looked in years going forward and backward, and it is a very interesting grouping of asteroids that are not there together at this time of the year. So it is an, a little bit more than what you would say normal. Um, and some are making a big deal out of some of the names of these uh, asteroids. Again, I can't confirm them, but they, some of them are very interesting. So 
very interesting month to watch and keep our eyes open because God does things and, and this comet coming on the day of trumpets, making the bend around the sun is a very interesting thing. And so it's, uh, they say that it's, it's you, you don't get to see a naked eye comet, but once every decade. And so it's very interesting. So you might want to get out and watch. Uh, you'll see Virgo in the uh, sunrise just before the sun comes up in the morning and uh, also after the sun, uh, just before the sun sets. So that's the time in the early evening, uh, early morning is the time to be watching to see the comet blazing. So that's when you want to look. All right. Yes. Yes, we view this through biblical astronomy, not man's astrology and we know that God put these things there because he says uh, Genesis 1:14 declares it Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare God's glory so this is the stuff that God wants us to look at if they are speaking and they are declaring they were made for us to look and observe so all right so we're going to move on to oh I put a little thing that's the comet uh, Nishimuru I put a little Highlighter, I forgot I did that. All right. Numbers 3.8. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting along with the duties of the sons of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. So in this verse, where it is said of the Levites that their task was to keep and guard the tabernacle and to oversee its worship, the same two Hebrew words are used there, uh, and they are avad and uh, Shamar, the Targumus here picks up on that, on that and connects the first verb with the study of Torah, which was emphasized in post-biblical Judaism, and the second with obedience. So this idea of keeping the furnishings is this idea of bringing the furnishings in and this idea of Torah study. They're equating the doing, the uh, uh, avod, uh, Vod, which is, would be to do and to make as uh, the keeping the commandments of God. So it's just a little interesting thing that I saw that they made this connection with these two words in this verse. Something to note if you're interested in those things, uh, check it out for yourself and study it. In verse 10, it says, And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. It's interesting that the same word, pakad, appears in verse 15, and it's used for numbered. So in one verse, the same Hebrew word, pakad, is being used to emphasize appointing, and the other is used to emphasize numbering. And so I, I, one commentary said, is it possible that the numbering was purposeful to appoint? that there's actual appointments going on and appointing in this idea of, of numbering. Let's look and see what this Picard says. This verb has a number of meanings, one of which is to appoint. It occurs about 300 times. It means appoint in about 20 of those places. Some of these texts refer to the ritual appointment of priests and Levites. Others indicate military-style appointments. A much more specific meaning for Pakad is found in context where the appointment of overseers. Now, it says that God is going to take, we talked about the numbering of the 144,000 last week, 
And those 144,000, what does God say that the apostles and those with them are going to do? They're appointed. Well, first they were appointed on a mission and a task to take the good news. But in the kingdom to come, they're appointed to do what? They're going to set as judges over humanity. And so that's an appointment. And I would like to think that, as, as Ezekiel points out, that there's going to be priests that are going to be used in service for all of these people. And this 144,000, I mentioned last week, I believe it's a, just a, a number that I think represents a bigger number. Ward has some things to share about that at Sukkot. So if you want an interesting take on that number, he's got something to share at Sukkot. Um, but what if the counting of Re- Revelation 7 of the 144,000 is the actual appointing? What if there's, a, since numbering is associated with appointing, what if this is 144,000 are being appointed for something? Something to keep in mind. Verse uh, chapter uh, 1, I'm going back into chapter 1, verse 49. It says, Only the tribe of Levi you shall number, Bekad, nor shall you take Nassah, their census among the sons of Israel. This very common verb is found 650 times, meaning Nassah. In the Tanakh, its root meaning is to bear or carry. So they're being appointed, says number, but they're being appointed to carry. Yes, Lisa. Um, so I just, uh, with regards to the appointed role, I've been reading some of the writings of Abraham in chapter 8, verse 4, in, I think it's called the Order of the Ancients. It says, Um, Even before he created the heavens and the earth, he counseled with the hosts of heaven and planned a plan wherein the spirit of every man should have his appointed role. For the spirit of every man appeared before Yahuwah of spirits in the beginning and received a place appointed in the family of heaven and earth. When a man filleth his appointed role, it is according to the glorious design of Yahuwah of spirits. And thus, as each one functions according to the divine plan, the work of God is pushed towards its consummation. Now, I love that. Thank you for sharing that because that ties right into what I'm going to talk about today in, in, in the and we're going to talk about uh, what reward is awaiting for those who are appointed. And we talk about people, some are, people are called. They're called and they're appointed. Not everybody answers it. Not everybody that's called to see God's truth and to walk in it actually end up walking it out and living it. They're called, but do they feel the appointment? So the Levites are called, they're appointed, and then they're called to take or they're called to Nassah in their appointment. And so we, as people that have been called by God, we've been asked to do something. If we do it, you're going to see here in a little bit, there is a reward for those who accept the calling, uh, take the appointment seriously, and actually do and, and walk out what they've asked, been asked to do. And we're going to get heavy into that. So this idea of Nassah, to take, means to uh, uh, bear, to carry, with a number of meanings such as to lift up, forgive, suffer, take, exalt, weep, uh, like one's voice. It also refers to the phenomenon of intercession. How many of you intercede for others or for whatever? So you have taken the idea of, I've been appointed by God to pray. I'm taking that appointment, and I'm going to take it now to the idea of Nassah. 
I'm going to intercede for my brethren or for other things. So you're walking out what he said. And guess what? There is a reward for those who take that and walk it out and actually live it and, and take it to heart. So intercession where the high priest is said to bear the names of the tribes of Israel before Yahuwah and also to bear their guilt when he appears before them. Aaron literally carries the people of Israel into God's presence through his ceremonial clothing. Now we talked about last week, the bride has this clothing. So what if her appointing, the appointing of 144,000, she's wearing garments, ornaments that God has asked her to, to wear. What if she is also bringing into the, the nations into the presence? What if her job, her appointment is to do those things? I'm just suggesting Nassau refers to God bearing his people on the wings of eagles so that they might be spared and come into an intimate relationship with him through the revelation of the covenant at Sinai through Moshe. In the first instance, Nassau indicates a worshipful, worshipful attitude of devotion to Yahuwah. In all of these references, the focus is on lifting up one's eyes. We're going to get into that at the very end. Our eyes are supposed to be on Him. We, our eyes are lifted up that we are on Him forever. Lifting up our soul, our hands, or one's voice in similar expressions to Elohim. Negatively, the term Nassau also refers to lifting up one's attention to idols. To things that are a displeasure to the Most High. Nassau clearly indicates the idea of burying the people's guilt in the sense of making atonement on their behalf. Similarly, it refers to the effect of the sin offering and making atonement. We're getting ready to go into the day of atonement. That's what this Nassau is talking about. Burying the guilt of the community. The day of atonement is not about individual sin. The day of atonement is about national sin. It's about the whole group of people. It's about the things that someone in the community has forgot. They've omitted something. The Day of Atonement makes a clean sweep, even if you've forgotten it, a clean sweep of everything so that everybody, all of it, even the unforgotten things, are now brought into forgiveness. In several contexts, the term is used to refer to those whose sinful actions lead inevitably to them bearing their own guilt. How many of you read that many times in scriptures? You will bear your own guilt with painful and often disastrous consequences. Our word nasa also indicates suffering leading to repentance in one or two contexts where the meaning bear is evident. In one instance, the metaphorical sense of nasa of carrier bearer, refers to God's deliverance of his people from captivity in Egypt. But let's look at our New Testament portion for just a minute. We're going to come back to the Torah in just a second. In Luke 15, 3, which is our prophet, our New Testament force says, So he told them this parable, saying, This is Yahushua speaking, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one of us 
who have repented and have accepted him and have said, I want to follow Torah, than 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And to think that heaven, and, heaven rejoiced over each one of you when you came in and repented is an amazing thing. How humbling to think that I'm looking at all of the numbers here that heaven rejoiced over you saying, forgive me, you're weeping and you're realizing I'm done and I need you and I want to follow everything you said because I believe it's true. That's awesome. Yes. In some cases, I think uh, the Father actually puts us in the midst of these people, and sometimes we are supposed to reach out. And we feel it in our spirit, too, when we're supposed to reach out and say something to certain people that we see in that repentant-type state. Sometimes we can even see it in their face, even, you know, just walking up to a stranger, hey, it's going to be all right, you know, you all right? And then they might open up to you, and now you can, you know, tell them about Yahuwah. Yep. Amen. And there it is. That's right. Now they on a journey. He brings the opportunity. So we're to be like Yahushua. We're to take on the shepherd character, going for the lost ones who need the shepherd. Take on the character. In verse 7 of Numbers 3, it says, They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation. This word is edah, and it refers to the general ceremony gatherings. Now, the reason I'm putting this in here is because it says the general ceremonial gatherings. What would that mean? What does that mean to you? If this word, when it's being used, he says, I'm going to have him guard the whole congregation before the tent of meeting, it's telling you that this word is referring to a ceremonial gathering. What ceremonial gathering would it be referring to? Or which ones? I would submit to you that there is these feasts, you've got Passover, you've got uh, Shavuot, you've got Yom Teruah, you've got Yom Kippur, you've got Sukkot, and they're called to gather at the tent of meeting, and this word congregation is to use, which we get the idea of church, which is an assembly, they assembled for these events. We're assembling for Shabbat, because he called us to, to do this. And so these, this is what, when you see congregation, it's not talking about the people while they're out in the tent. It's talking about when they've come together at the time he called them to assemble. They heard the sound and they gathered. And that's what that word is referring to. Verse 13 says, And all the firstborn are mine on the day that I, Nakah, struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. So there are two broad categories for the dominant use of Nakah, where people and nations are involved. The first of these is the group in text in which Nakah indicates God's judgment against pagan nations for their rebellion against him. Oh, but wait a minute, they're pagan nations. How could they be rebelling? Well, what do you think Nineveh was? God sent Jonah to Nineveh. I mean, when they got off the boat with Noah, they all knew the Torah. And how they did it from that point on is their own situation, but rebellion started from there. And if fathers failed to teach their sons God's ways, or omitted things, or twisted it, or turned it, and, and, and morphed it into their own theology and their own doctrine, that's on that dad. But all of them were called to know it from the time they got off the boat. It's just, I'm just going from the boat forward. So yes, 
Oh, and God set angels over them to shepherd them, and they went wayward. God declares in Exodus 3.20 that he will reach out his hand and strike Egypt. The climax to this terrible series of plague judgments is the Passover, when Elohim will strike down all the firstborn in the land. Think of that as a script for what's coming. I just read you the script of what's coming. This major act of divine judgment is referred to elsewhere. Here's your references. The second major category of texts involving the use of nakah with personal objects concerns God's punishment of his own people, whom he also strikes in his anger. We talked about it here during the prayer in Ezekiel chapter 9. God says, the writing instrument, go and put a mark on everybody, but I want you to start at my house, right in my house. Start there with the judgments. If they don't have the mark, they're going to get struck. They're going to get nakah. Okay? Now, before I show you this next thing, I read the son's names. I read the dad's names. And I was driven to look up the definitions of the names. And as I saw them, I'm just, I, I mean, I, I wrote them down on paper and, and just, just in order. And I'm like, there's something here, but I'm just not getting it. And, I'm, and I'm, I mean, I'm hours and I'm hours, and I'm looking at this, I'm, and I'm like, okay, Mark, you know what to do. Every time you're in this situation, you've got to put it up, and you've got to get it up in a board. You've got to get it in a way that you can see it, not here on this. Get it up in, a, in where you can visualize it in front of your face. And as I was thinking that, I thought, why don't you put it in the order that they are in the encampment? And something clicked. Instead of just 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and over here with the dad, da, 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 when I put them in the encampment, things started to click. And so I'm going to show you two graphs. I'm going to show you one of the fathers and their names, where they are in the encampment, and then the sons. And I want, you, I want to see if you see what I saw. If you don't, I have a third graph for you to see, so I can show you what I saw. You may see something that I didn't see, which is really awesome because we're all learning together. So here's graph number one. These are the fathers of the sons. Now, obviously, in the right, in purple, is Judah and, and the encampment with him. At the bottom is Reuben. At the left, in green, is Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And at the top, you've got Dan and the, the, the sons that are with him. Now, what's interesting is, is over here we've got my people give freely, little small, window of grief, uh, field of light, light of the Almighty, the Almighty is my rock and strength, the knowledge of God, and so on. Now I want you to just take a minute and visualize that. These are the meanings according to Hitchcock's Bible name dictionary. This is the names of these Hebrew fathers, their definition of the name. How many of you know that the names mean something, right? Okay. So here's the names, and then here is the sons' names. Now, I put in red because Judah is Nashon, and Abidan is 
Benjamin. That's the southern kingdom. All of the rest of them are the ten tribes of the north. I underlined Eliab in blue because that is the land, Issachar, where Nazareth is located. I thought it was interesting that where Nazareth, where Yeshua was born and grew up, is called God is my father. Probably not by coincidence, okay? So, I don't know if you see any patterns here, but I did. I'm going to show you what I saw. So, in number one, with the father and son, I saw in, in, in the son and the father, it was this give freely and gift of God in both the father and the son over in Judah's camp. In Reuben's camp, I saw both in the father and son. One talked about rock and strength. The other's name meant increase in knowledge. But over in, Benj- or in Ephraim and Benjamin, I see recompense, redemption and salvation, and judgment and destroyer. And up in Dan was assistance and God with me. To me, these names click. I see a connection in the names of each encampment. A son and father had a connection in what their character, who, what their name represents. And of course, I couldn't get the tribe of Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh out of my head. And so we're going to focus in on camp number three. Okay? First, we'll look at Judah. Could it really mean that giving freely and gift of God could have meant something about the tribes? Well, in 1 Corinthians 2.12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from Elohim, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Master. We're going to talk about this free gift of eternal life later. So this is what you're seeing out of Judah's encampment. The common theme out of two names matches what we see in Scripture, which is very interesting. Over in Reuben, we see in Psalm 31.2, Incline your ear to me, rescue me quickly, be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. Psalm 62.7 says, O God of my salvation and my glory rest, the rock of my strength, my refuge is Elohim. Colossians 1.10 says, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of Yahuwah to please Him, walk in a manner worthy to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of Elohim. Wow, that's crazy. That's amazing, yes. So this is the, the tribes in the Torah. Yes. The tribes in Revelation are different. Have you compared the two? I haven't. Okay. There's two missing yeah. from so, the ones in so Torah. That may, maybe, maybe I'll have to get busy on that this week and look at that difference. That's, thanks for bringing that to my attention. Okay, so now we're going to look at Ephraim. Recompense, redemption, salvation. Isaiah 62, 11, Behold, Yahweh has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to, what if these verses are representative of these sons and these tribes? Think about it. Watch what's being said here in Isaiah 62. Yeshua came for who? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's this camp. 
Yahweh has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. That's absolutely crazy that he's talking about the Savior who he himself said he came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is the names of the men in that camp. <laughs> Ezekiel 34, 16 says, I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, uh, broken and strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I said when I read it. It's pretty amazing. And then Dan. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your Elohim. I will strengthen you. That's assistance. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's pretty amazing. That God is choosing. Do you, he could have chose anybody. But he chose these men who bore those names because they were going to be reflecting things that he would say in words to come. Let's take another closer look at Ephraim. Another word for recompense is reward. And when I saw that, I couldn't get reward out of my head. I just am, I'm just, this word reward just overcomes me. And so Isaiah 62, 11 says, his reward is with him. So I'm going to ask you a question as we move forward. Is the fruit of your life revealing his reward? So we're going to look at some words that are used to describe his reward. And let's see how our life matches up and what reward we will receive. Some good reward and some bad reward in some of these words. Since this was associated with Ephraim, maybe we should look at these as though Yahweh is speaking to us. And that hit me very heavy as that came to my mind. So I'm going to show you about, I don't know, six, seven words, Hebrew words, that are used to describe reward. Imagine that you could have that many Hebrew words talking about reward, but they are there. They're used in, I'm going to show you the scripture references that they're used in. So let's take a look. The first one is sakar. is a noun meaning higher wages, reward. In the majority of its nearly 30 occurrences, the meaning of reward is found in seven contexts. It refers to rewards given for service done well. In contrast, it declares in, in Ecclesiastes, there is no reward for the wicked. In Psalms 127, it describes children as a reward from Elohim. And Ecclesiastes 4.9 refers to reward for hard labor. And also it speaks of, in Isaiah, of God's reward indicating his redeemed people. So here we have examples from these texts where this word sakar is used. Second Chronicles 15.7 But you, be strong and do not lose courage. For there is reward for just believing in your mind and mental gymnastics. No. He says, there is reward for your work. 
Jeremiah 31, 16 says, Thus says Yahweh, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares Yahweh, and they will return from the land of the enemy. Could he be speaking to you today in these? Ask yourself, am I doing a work that will result in a reward? Am I faithful? This word, seker, it, this Hebrew word is a variant from sekar, found only twice, and the meaning reward is evident only in Proverbs 11:18, where it says, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. Are we sowing righteousness? If we do, we've got a very true reward ahead of us. How about masquerade? It is a noun found in four places, meaning reward. In Ruth 2.12, it refers to a blessing. And it says in Ruth 2.12, May Yahuwah reward your work and your wages be full from Yahuwah, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'm going to take the yoke of the Torah upon me and I'm going to do everything that the Most High says for me to do. Well, it sure is a lot of work words in here, isn't it? Associated with the reward. Our next Hebrew word is gamal. It occurs 40 times, meaning reward. Recompense, along with associated nuances. Where human beings are concerned, the sense of reward is both positive and negative. In these references, it refers to repaying or recompensing with kindness. In these references, it refers to rewarding with evil. God also is said to reward with both, both blessing and evil. You've heard me say the two vials in the constellation of, of uh, Aquarius, one is wrath and, and bad, the other one is blessing and good, depending upon, I always say, your relationship, but let's say depending on your work. Depending on your work. Because that's the reward. It's saying your reward is going to be evil, bad, or blessing and good, but it is associated directly with your work. What have you done? Have you been busy about the kingdom of the master? Yes. Now, the word work isn't just related to the spiritual work. It's, work, it's related to all forms of work. Work on your job uh, that's why we're rewarded. God says, work six days and rest on the seventh. It's, it's related to all work. Yep. And not only work and all these others, but also the things that God asked us to do in his commands. That's work. I mean, that's the things he, that's doing his work. So in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty one, it says, Yahweh dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. It's this word, Gamal. Yes. 
I was gonna say that faith without works is dead, you know, and like in every yep. area of life, you gotta do the work, like, you know, like that's that's gonna get you to the next level. And when you stay faithful to the small things, bigger things, can, that's the, so that you, um, bigger things can come, you know? Yep. Cause um, that's why I looked at my job, I was just staying faithful to what the most I gave me. And, you know, I, I ended up conquering and being able to, you know, get, um, you know, get to the, the, the high level, you know, that I need to get. So, you know, like, it's just being faithful to what Amen. the little things so that the bigger things can come. Amen. As the scripture says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You might as well interpret it, well worked. <laughs> because some people may think done is some kind of mental gymnastics that they didn't have to do anything, but it's something they just thoughts in their head. But that's not where he's going with what he's telling us here. I mean, in context, you see what this is meaning. Now, I'm going to finish this, this here. It says, um, it, with evil or punishment, but in Psalm 103, verse 10, he, it denies that God does this as fully as the sins of his people deserve. God is merciful. We have to remember, God is a merciful God. How many of you are glad he's merciful? So our next word is ekeb, and this noun occurs in 15 contexts primarily as the conjunction because, however, in Psalm 19, it refers to a reward, a blessing. And it says, moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. What do you think the them is? In context, huh? That's <laughs> right. Keeping his commands, keeping his instructions. Wow, that's good stuff. The next word you might be surprised is shuv. And it says shuv is a common verb occurring over 1,000 times with the primary meaning to return. We all know that. It's the idea of returning to shuva. However, in several instances, it means reward. I didn't know that, so I'm learning a new thing this week. Recompense. Yahuwah is said to reward shuv, his people, with blessing in these references, and to reward, shuv them with judgment for sin. Human beings are described as rewarding evil for good in these references, and it speaks of rewarding evil for evil as an enacting revenge. Hosea 4.9 says to the northern kingdom, and it shall be like people, like priests, I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their shuv, their deeds, their I will uh, reward them for their deeds. So here's work again, what they did. They're getting repaid, uh, rewarded for what they're doing. Here's another one, Ralphie's wife, Peri. Normally means fruit. You all know that. We're saying the blessing of the fruit of the vine, all right? Bore, Peri, right? Bore, Peri, right? It's a noun, it's a sense of fruit in nearly 120 occurrences. However, in Psalm 58, it is translated as reward. Saying this, mankind will say, surely there is a peri for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Wow. Boy, there sure is a lot of talk about reward using a lot of Hebrew words that's normally used for something else that God chooses to use in sometimes one or two instances for rewarding. Yes. What's interesting is the word bere is close to bara. So I wonder if there's some type of correlation there. Could be. Yeah, could be. 
All right. Yes. Oh, over here. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're going to talk about this or not, but I want to share a little bit of a conversation we've been having this week. So I can't keep thinking about this as you're sharing about the reward, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, okay? But in talking about all the feast days and Shabbat that you mentioned before, what we were seeing and reminded of is that the reward is not just for the individual. Yes. The, it's because when you understand Hebraic community, you are an individual that is part of a community. Yes. And you're, you don't just operate as an individual cell or an Amen. individual island. You are always keeping in mind, is what I'm doing bringing purity into the community? Is what I'm doing bringing integrity to the community? Is what I'm doing bringing shalom to the community? You always have the community the community's righteousness in mind in your behavior, not only in what you do on at home, but each week we're reminded on Shabbat, I'm part of a community. Yes. The feast days are a reminder to us that not only does it show us our Messiah, but it also reminds us that I'm part of a community. Yes. My reward is not only on an individual basis, but my reward comes to the community as a whole. Amen. And as you spoke about um, Yom Kippur, this is community repentance. It all culminates in is the community yes. in a state of righteousness to receive the reward. And if the community repents, what's the reward? Name written in the book of life, yes. Yeah, and return of Mashiach. Yes, awesome, well said. Yes, go ahead. So to piggyback off of what your wife was saying here and what is actually in Scripture, First Peter uh, 4 and 8, um, this is a reward too. And above all, have fervent love. The, you know, that's a reward. You love for one another because love covers the number of sins. Welcome one another without grumbling, like what she's saying, um, as each one has received a gift to serve another as good trustees of the manifold favor of Elohim. Uh, if everyone speak, let it be as the word of Elohim. If everyone serves, let it be as with the strength of Elohim that Elohim provides, so that Elohim might be praised in all through Yahushua Messiah, to whom belongs and the esteem uh, to rule over forever and ever. Amen. So um, that is the reward that we must give to each other is, is love because we're missing that um, as people. We have so much hatred outside and even in the congregation, we have hatred when we should be having love. I feel like I needed to say too that like before you make a move, you first need to think about your people. You know, you first need, you first need to think about how it's gonna affect you and your people. You know, like um, that's that's what I do. Like like before I make a move, I think about what, what how it's gonna affect me and you know my nation Israel. You know, because that's my people at the that's end right. of the day, Amen. and that's how we got to look at that's it. Like right. this is a when you keep when you keep the Torah, it's a family thing. That's right. You are you are you belong to the family of the Most High, and yes. and and if and he he's concerned about his will and his will only yeah. like he, he you know yeah so he's it gets, watching it gets all deep. sheep it's, it's deeper than that it's, yeah. it gets real deep yeah. he's watching all the sheep amen okay 
So we've seen quite a few words. Is there another? Shalom. It's a verb occurring over 100 times with the primary meaning to pay, reward, and restore with a number of related nuances. It is used in Isaiah 62.11, See, Yahweh has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughters of Zion, See, your deliverance has come. His reward, Shalom, is with him and his work before him. Hallelujah. Shalom is a meaning reward in the sense of God repaying with blessing. It's indicated in 1 Samuel, in Proverbs, all these other contexts. So the inference is negative where God is said to reward sin by bringing down punishment on those who practice it. In these references as well. Elsewhere, the practice of human beings rewarding or repaying evil for good is indicated in these references. So Proverbs 13, 13 uses this word. It says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Deuteronomy 7.10 And he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will, shalom, repay him to his face. Ooh, man, I feel terrible for people that are going to get it to their face in the repayment or their reward from the Most High. So now, let's look like, let me say this again. So it looks like Elohim is saying that there is great reward of blessing for walking in his instructions for life. But for those who choose to turn their back to those ways, have destruction coming as a reward. Hmm. The Old Testament vocabulary describing the high quality of life that was offered to Israel by Yahuwah as a reward for their consistent devotion to him and obedience to his Torah is significant. In other words, God told them, if you walk in my ways, if you do what I ask you to do, your reward is I'm going to bring you into this land. The land is going to just, just you'll just throw seed in the ground and it's going to just bring out all kinds of amazing fruit. You almost aren't going to have to do any work. The, I'm going to cause the ground to bring out springs and you're going to have the best you're going to have the best water that you can get and all the food you can imagine. I'm going to protect you from enemies. I'm going to set you on this place and your reward is going to be peace. Shalom. Yes. The Lord told us that he was going to send us into the land that was already flowing with milk and honey. So... (laughs) It's, it's just for us to go in and take it. That's it's right. already there. It's Possess prepared it. for us. We just go in and it. own it. Yep. Take ownership. Yep. And I want to tell you, I've said, said, said this before, you've got to keep this in your mind, that your brother Judah is over there holding that land that they're trying to give away because they believe that you're coming. They believe you're returning. They're holding the land. I've talked to them face to face. I was face to face. And they said, we're here on the land of Samaria of the northern kingdom because they're trying to give it away and we're here put, putting establishment saying, this is 
the land that God gave our brothers. And we're holding it for them because they're coming. Oh, they're coming, all right. It's going to be a big number. Yes. Um, piggybacking on what he was saying, the reward is the milk and honey. <laughs> we got to walk the walk. Yep. Not just walk there, but walk the walk That's right. into the yep. land of yep. milk and honey. This idea came up uh, with another brother that talked about in 1967, whenever they took Jerusalem, they actually didn't declare sovereignty. And it was a mistake. And so, again, you're supposed to take possession. You can't just take it militarily and then back off and say, well, okay, we'll let this other group come in here and manage it and we'll back off. What you, you, God wants you to take possession of the land. That means you've got to now, you know, like you said, you've got to own it. You've got to, it's yours. You've got to take it. Whether it's by force, you've got to now say, this is mine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. I'm going to be uh, dwelling on it. I'm going to take this land. Because he gave it to you. It's his promise. It's a reward. So, I'm going to finish this sentence. The blessed idea of life in Canaan was held out constantly to the people as an incentive for remaining faithful to Yahuwah in every area of life. But concerning the people of Elohim, Hayah, life, refers to their living in the land with a high quality of life as a reward for obedience. So, I want to share this thought with you. The transition from quality of life in this age compared to the quality of life in the age to come. We're promised life eternal, not just life on the land, but life on the land eternal is what we're promised that's coming ahead of us. So let's look at a reward given when our eyes are on him. This is 2 Chronicles 20, verse 10. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by committing or coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. So these peoples are going to come and try to drive the, land, the nation of Israel out from the land of their inheritance. And they say, O Elohim, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before Yahweh with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of Yahweh came upon Yahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Yael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the king Jehoshaphat, thus says Yahweh to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. It is mine, thus says Yahuwah. Now I got to tell you, if your eyes are on him and your, your heart is devoted to him, the battle is not 
yours. No matter what's happening at work, no matter what's happening at home, no matter what's happening in the world, no matter what's happening anywhere, the battle is not yours. God's got your back. And he will do the fighting for you. You just have to stay faithful to him because that's his promise to you. And we have an example here. God gave us an example of what he did to his people if their eyes were fixed on him and we're not concerned about anything else. Our eyes are fixed on him. God says, I got you covered. I got you covered. Would you stand with me? I have something to share with you from the book called Blood Covenant, and it's this. And they're using this scripture to talk about this reward. If any man's work shall abide, which he built thereon, on the foundation, meaning the Torah, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself, who has builded, shall be delivered, yet as through fire. Father, we thank you for the word today. We thank you for encouraging us that, Father, you, you have a reward for us. You have gifts to give us. You have uh, presents and all kinds of things to give us if we stay faithful, if we stay true, if our eyes are fixed on you, if our hearts are wanting to do what pleases you. You said all the battles we face are not ours. And what a joyous revelation that is. What comfort and joy it is to mine and everyone's heart and our being that you, the Most High, as you did and showed before, you have our back. And you've got the battle covered. So we thank you for the revelation today that you are our great reward and the gifts that you promised are ours. We just have to stay fixed on you. We give you praise and glory. In your son Yeshua's name, amen. Now we get to say... Thank you all here. Have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. And remember, guests go first through the line. Shabbat Shalom.